All right, Revelation chapter 10. Um, the subject that we're dealing with in the book of Revelation is the appearance of this angel. Uh, and it appears uh, to me that this angel matches, based upon what the scripture is saying, it matches the identity of none other than Jesus Christ. We've covered uh, some of this so far. Number one, let me read the scripture. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. That shows dominion. And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And I want you to think about that. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever. And this is what uh, is another uh, objection that some people have is that the angel is swearing by God. Well, that's, uh, who was it? In the um, uh, Melchizedek, when he could swear by no greater, the Bible says. He swore by himself. So anyway, uh, let's go back up here. We've covered the idea, another mighty angel. Christ is characterized as an angel. He's also mentioned specifically as an angel, uh, in, in when Moses was giving uh, instructions to Israel, he said the angel, capital A, uh, and he's referring to Christ. God's going to send his angel, capital A. Uh, when Jacob uh, was uh, blessing uh, his sons, he mentioned the angel that blessed him. And that also in your, in your Bible is a capital A. And he's referring, he wrestled with the Lord. And so there is, and then you have the appearances of Christ in the Old Testament, oftentimes mentioned as the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's parents to tell them that he was going to be born, um, they said, surely we're going to die because we've seen God face to face. And so they knew that the angel they were talking to was in fact God. It was, it was Christ but nobody knew him as Christ back during those days. So that's the angel part. Clothed with the cloud. The Bible mentions multiple places where Jesus is coming in the clouds. He's coming in the clouds, in the clouds. That's the sign uh, of his return is that he's coming with the clouds. And a rainbow was upon his head. That to me, when I got to that part in studying this, it's been several years ago, um, and I've never really had anything in Scripture change my mind on this. Uh, in Ezekiel 1, when Ezekiel uh, sees um, this chariot of God coming down from heaven with the four living creatures of the four angels, which were cherubs, and they're carrying basically what, what amounts to the throne of God, uh, it says in uh, Ezekiel 1.27, I saw uh, as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw it as the appearance of fire 
in verse 28, he says, As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So he mentions here that the, cloud, the bow in the cloud in the day of rain, which we learned from Genesis chapter 9, was the sign that God was going to give for his covenant. The bow is the glory of the Lord in the cloud. And so that's what Ezekiel says here. When I, he said when he saw the, the brightness and the bow in the cloud like it was in a day of rain, he said this was the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And um, God uh, tells us in his word, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not share with another. So if God won't share his glory with any other, then this glory must only belong to Christ. Christ said it in John 17 uh, when he's praying that prayer to his father, his holy father. And it's not the Pope either. And he says uh, to, the, to his father, uh, share with me the glory that we had before the world was. And so we know that God shares his glory with his son, but he won't share it with anybody else. No, no angel, no person, nothing. Only, only Christ. Uh, then we get to the part where his face was as it were the sun. And... Um, I didn't talk about this last Sunday, so we have to go back a couple Sundays, but I'll give you a refresher course on this. Uh, in Matthew 17, uh, just very quickly, in Matthew 17, when Jesus, uh, Peter, James, and John uh, went up to this mountain, uh, the Bible says he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. And that's what it says here. It says uh, in Revelation 10, 1, his face was as it were the sun. Um, and then there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. By the way, I, I ordered a new uh, remote wireless thing here. I tried to connect it again one more time this morning. It just wouldn't do it. And I thought I'd already ordered one. And I kept looking in boxes all week from Amazon. And then I went to Amazon's website and I went, oh, I didn't order it. I forgot. So one's on the way. We'll have it by next Wednesday night. Uh, and then, Revelation chapter 1, when John uh, is praying on the Lord's day, uh, and he hears a voice behind him as, as of a trumpet. I like that. Um, he describes what he sees. In verse 14, his head and his hair is red, white like wool, white as snow. I like that, because that matches... Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And um, anyway, in verse 15, his feet like undefined brass. Well, brass is a, a symbol for fire in the Bible. When, when the fiery serpents came out and bit the Israelites for, for complaining, um, then... Uh, they appealed to Moses. Moses prayed to God. God said, uh, make a fiery serpent, put it on a pole. So he, the Bible says he made a serpent of brass and put it on a, bra a, a brazen pole. So it's an it's a emblem of fire, the brazen altar that was in uh, the tabernacle. That was a picture of fire. Brass, so brass is fire. Um, 
But anyway, it says here, his feet were like unto fine brass, as if they had burned in a furnace. And his voice, as the sound of many waters, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, there's, his countenance is his face, was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, Psalm 19, I like this. Turn to Psalm 19. Oh, listen. I like looking at the stars, Amen. That's, that means, do you like looking at the stars? Okay, good. Uh, in fact, I, we were at an Amish discount store. Um, again, last week we found um, in northern Indiana, there's a big Amish community up there, and they had a, a, a discount store up there. They had several of them up there, and they had a, pair of binoculars uh and they were huge and um so i bought a set and then i was guilty of the 10th commandment breaking the 10th commandment i was coveting i actually i sat down they had a couch for sale and i sat on the couch and sterling they had a brand new a lot of these a lot of these amish communities they'll have at least one family that runs a store where they get all the Amazon returns. When you return stuff to Amazon, Amazon don't put them back on the shelf. They, they clear it out, discount it out, and it goes in boxes, and people buy a tractor-trailer load of stuff. And they put it, so <clears throat> I'm sitting there on this couch, and there's a brand-new Makita table saw with bells and whistles and all kinds of stuff on it that I have no idea what it was. And it was $4.99. And I'm going, I, I bet that thing runs at least six, $700 at Home Depot. So I sat and I looked at it for about 10 minutes. And God said, thou shalt not covet. Well, I already broke that commandment. I just didn't buy it. So, but anyway... Um, where was I, where was I talking about? Oh, I bought the, uh, bought the uh, binoculars to look at the moon and Saturn and Jupiter and all that stuff. I like that. And notice this, it's one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Apollo 8 uh, Jim Lovell, who twice went to the moon and never got to land because he was on Apollo 8, and Apollo 8 was just supposed to go to the moon, circle it a few times, and then slingshot back. And then he was on Apollo 13, if you remember. He was on Apollo 13, and they had that accident, and basically they did the same thing, slingshot around the moon and headed back home. But uh, on Apollo 8... Uh, and they've got, there's a picture, the very first time man has seen the earth from the moon. It's called the earth rise, and it's a beautiful picture. But when Apollo 8 made its first pass around the back side of the moon, and they came around, it was Christmas Eve. And they called back, and they were being broadcast all over the world, and they said, we'd like to read something in uh, honor and commemoration of what it is that we're doing. They knew they were making history. They were the first people to ever go to the moon. 
And so they pulled out a King James Bible and said, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that it was good. And I mean, they just went down, they read all of Genesis chapter 1, coming around the, the moon, and guess who complained? Madeline Murray O'Hare. She complained that NASA had spent government money for those men to push a religion down man's throat from the other side of the moon. I'm just going, you people are nuts. But anyway, anybody, anybody, whether you're on earth looking up or you're in space looking deeper in space, you have got to see the handiwork of God. It's there. And with this uh, James Webb telescope, this brand new telescope that they've got up there, that they're, we're able to see farther into space than we've ever, ever seen before. And what they thought was, they thought they were going to see um, the formation of the first galaxies and so on because they had it figured that they would be able to see the light coming from about 14 billion light years away, which they say predates the Big Bang. So what they thought was they would be able to see evidence, visual evidence of the Big Bang, and you would have all this chaos and all this mess way out in the distant parts of the universe. But that's not what they're seeing, Brother George. They're seeing fully formed galaxies. Just like the ones that are close enough for us to see with a regular telescope, they're seeing ones that look just like that. And they're not seeing a difference between what's 13 billion light years away from what, I don't know what the closest other galaxy is to the Milky Way, but they're not seeing any difference. It's like they were all formed on the same day. Imagine that. And they were. Because the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, which is the expanse of the universe, showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Meaning that everybody on the earth can see the same thing every night, every day, every night, every day. They see the sun rise, they see the sun set, they see the moon and the stars every night, and they should know that something that beautiful and something that um, ornate, something that, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Something that designed has to, do what? It's spectacular, yeah. Something that spectacular has to have a designer to design it, to put every star in its place. And that's what the Bible tells us. And he says, verse 4, their line has gone throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, meaning the, the outer space, the heaven, in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. So the sun, and then he says in verse 5, the sun is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber 
and rejoiceth, rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of, of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. And we note that in the tabernacle, when God told Moses to set up the tabernacle, he said, put the door in the east and the most holy place in the west. That's because the high priest is a representation of Christ and the sun and the sun rises and it goes from east to west, the high priest uh, in, his, uh, uh, in his work on the Day of Atonement goes from east uh, as he enters into the tabernacle structure. He takes the blood, goes into the sanctuary, the, uh, the holy place, and then he goes into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is. He is going from east to west, just like the sun does. And that's how God designed. So the universe is as a tabernacle for the sun. It's like Christ. Christ said that his coming was going to be from the east to the west. And so I go and visit uh, our family cemetery down in, um, oh, what town is that, Melissa? Um, Enola, Arkansas. I'm sure you all go there. Our family cemetery is there. And every one of them Baptist hoggards, there's a few Pentecostals, but every one of them hoggards in that, in that cemetery, they're all facing east. Every one of them. And why is that? That's because they're all facing the east so they can face Jesus when he comes to resurrect them. Amen? So right here, the Bible is going like in reverse. It's telling you about the sun and how it goes from east to west and that it's in like a big tabernacle, just like the high priest was in the tabernacle. Christ is the high priest. And it's telling you that the son is the bridegroom. And Christ is the bridegroom. And when he comes, he's coming in the east. When the sun rises, he's rising from the east. And that's where we're going to see him at. So again, another, another place in the Bible telling us Christ uh, being equal with the sun. Uh, Malachi chapter 4 literally says uh, in, in no uncertain terms, but unto you that fear my name shall the sun of righteousness, capital S, U-N, arise with healing in his wings. The sun of righteousness. And the translators knew that that was speaking of Christ, so they capitalized the letter S on there just to let you know who it is. Psalm 84, 11 says the same thing. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will... Now, here's what we found out. And I, again, this, I like this stuff. They found out that the back of the moon doesn't look anything like the front of the moon. Front of the moon has, from, from where we can see, you know, large areas that it doesn't look like they've had a lot of meteor crashing into it. Uh, and, you know, everybody that's always looked at the moon said we can kind of see a man's face in that. Well, the closer you get, the less you can see that. But when Apollo 8 first went around the backside of the moon, and now we have photographs of this. It is, it is like corner to corner 
top to bottom, left to right, full of very large craters. And that's because the gravity of the moon, as it's going around the earth, is protecting the earth from a lot of the meteors that would be flying through space and slamming into the earth. And we know that it, it won't take much of one that if a meteor large enough to make it through the Earth's atmosphere and not get burned up, if it hits, uh, it's going to do a lot of damage. They call it, um, I don't know, I shouldn't have said it. I don't remember what they call it now. A something extinction event. Global extinction event. Meaning it's going to kill everything. Meteor big enough. And so... Number one, the moon is protecting the earth from a lot of these meteors that would have hit. The atmosphere of the earth protects the earth from some of the smaller ones that hit because of the speed that they're traveling when they hit the earth's atmosphere. If they hit it at the wrong angle, sometimes they bounce off. But if they hit it at just the right angle... They'll, they'll hit that air, and that air is going past so fast and hitting it so hard, it literally burns it up, and that's what gives you meteor showers. But then we have the sun, and we know the sun itself does a really good job of protecting the earth. There was a, a few years ago, there was a comet that, and I watched people on the internet, and they just made idiots of themselves. Because they said this comet was going to, it was actually a, 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 I don't know, maybe a spaceship or something like that. But it was supposed to come around the sun. And when it did, it was going to target the earth. And that was going to be the start of the tribulation. And they were given dates for the rapture and all of this stuff. And guess what happened? It got around the backside of the sun. And when it came back around and we first saw it, it had broken into pieces already. The sun and its gravity and its heat had just busted that thing all up. And so everybody's going, oh, never mind then. And that's just what you get when you get the internet and you get people making predictions on the internet that they ought not make. Amen? But the Lord God is the sun and shield. And the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And I love that verse. So now back to Revelation chapter 10. Turn your Bibles there. Um, and you know, there's a, let's see here. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I think I skipped something here. Let me turn there. Revelation 10. Something that I don't have in my notes. It mentions, so, so far, just as we've gone through uh, we haven't even gone through all of verse 10. I don't have all my notes ready. His face as it were the pillar of fire, or face as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And we'll probably talk about that next Sunday. But I want you to notice in verse 2, um, we kind of skip around a little bit. And he had in his hand a little book open. Now, 
That book is, I believe, let's go back to Revelation 5. Revelation 5. Here we have a book. And that book is rolled up and it's in God's right hand. Um, in fact, I'll do this. Let me pull up the Bible search software here. You ever want to get blessed? Study the Bible. You ever want to get really blessed? Study the Bible with an intention. Let me show you just what you can glean from scriptures by looking at something as simple as the right hand. Why is it in the right hand? Well, this is not a... Who's our lefties? Yeah, my sister. We could never sit... Yeah. So anyway, I'm a righty. She's a lefty. So I couldn't sit at her left hand at the dinner table because we fought too much. And then our elbows got into it. But anyway, uh, this is not uh, a curse on anybody with the left hand. The bottom line is, unless you are ambidextrous, which very few people really are, um, whatever hand you're dominant with, your other hand is weak. So with most people, they are right-handed. God happens to use the symbolism of the right hand to show dominance. And I want you to think about this. I'll give you an illustration of it, okay? On the right hand of your Bible, from Matthew on, is the New Covenant. On the left hand of your Bible, from Genesis to uh, Malachi, is the, the uh, Old Testament. Now, out of the two, the Old Testament and the New Testament, which one has more strength? The old or new? The new does. Okay? What can the New Testament do that the Old Testament cannot do? I'm going to preach on that this morning. I'd give you salvation. It can, the, the New Testament can get you to heaven. The Old Testament can't. You have an illustration of that. Moses cannot lead you into the promised land, can he? Why, why can't Moses? What was the one thing that happened that uh, disqualified Moses from leading Israel into the promised land? Huh? Killing the Egyptian? There you go. There you go. You meant to say that, didn't you? Yeah. Struck the rock the second time. The second time he was supposed to speak to the rock. And he didn't do it. He was mad. So you know how we are when we get mad. We take a rod and we hit things with it. Break them. Well, he smote the rock because he was angry. Now, God still gave him water. 
But for that, Moses could not lead them into the promised land. So Moses, and we know that Moses did other things wrong, but the point is, Moses did one thing wrong, and because of that, he is disqualified from leading the people into the promised land. God is showing us that. So now we have Christ, a new lawgiver, who comes down from heaven with a new law, in fact, two laws. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So here's this beautiful law of God that comes down from heaven, and Christ then is able to lead us all into heaven because he didn't break any laws, did he? He didn't break any commandments. It, what God wanted him to do, he did it. And he did it faithfully. Somebody say amen. And so Moses can't, but Christ can. Moses on the left side, Christ on the right side. Uh, uh, Adam, if we're all born of Adam, we're born to go to hell. If we're born of Christ, we're born to go to heaven. We are sons of God. You see the difference. So all through the, if you just think about it, there are things that my right hand can do that my left hand cannot do. And, and I had surgery on this shoulder and I was prepared for like me to have my arm in a sling and a pillow for like six weeks. I was prepared for that. And I'm Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Sterling, bless his heart, made me a tool for me to um, button my britches with my left hand. Because I couldn't have done it. I tried it. Couldn't have done it. So he made me a little tool. And he said, try that. And I'm going, hook. Hey, that works. But anyway, too much information. <laughs> but anyway, these visitors are going, oh my goodness. But anyway... Son of Adam, you're not going to make it to heaven. Son of God, you're going to make it to heaven. You're, the, the right hand simply can do things the left hand can never do and never was intended to do. God knew that the, when he gave the commandments that they would not be able to lead people into the promised land. He knew it. So that's why he said in Jeremiah 31, 31, I'm going to give you a new covenant. And with this one, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to write my law in your inward parts and I'm going to forgive every one of your sins. Isn't that something? Wait, you wait till you see what I got to preach this morning. It, the inspiration came to me in a Mexican restaurant. But it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with Mexicans, all right? Uh, anyway, let me, let me show you some of these verses real quick. Um, yeah. Exodus 15, 6, Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. So think about it. Who is it that destroyed our enemies? Was it Moses? No. Was it Christ? Yes. Um, Exodus 15, 12, Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. It's talking about the, the enemies again. Um, let me get to the Psalms. Psalms has a bunch of them. I like it. Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Uh, Psalm 16, 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forever. Look here. 
At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You want to have a joy in your life? You want God to drive away your depression, drive away your sadness, your guilt, your sorrow? Open your Bible up and read it. God will do all kinds of things for you with his right hand. Psalm 17, 7, show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand. Them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Trust is a word related to faith. Faith and trust are the same thing. If you trust uh, your husband or you trust your wife or you trust your parents, you trust a, your friend of yours or whatever, then you have faith and confidence in them. When you put your trust in God, I promise you, and God promises you, that that confidence will never go wrong. God will always do what he said he's going to do. Somebody say amen. So that book in God's right hand is if you study that phrase, the right hand, you'll see it, man. Everything that God promises is right there in his right hand. And it's in that book. And this is that book. Amen. Father, we ask your blessings upon your book, upon the words, Lord, that are at your right hand, your scepter, uh, the, the rod that signifies you have the right to reign over heaven and earth together. God, that you are our God, you are our King. And Lord, that what you call upon us to do, we do. Thank you, God, for such an amazing book. Thank you, God, for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, God, for saving all of us with the power of your right hand. And bless this book, Father, and bless this morning's message, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.